It is my joy to have Mark Batterson and Dick Foth with, with us this whole weekend. Mark has been uh, speaking, come on up you guys, and Dick up at the men's retreat Friday night. And then they came back down the mountain yesterday and he's with us all weekend. Mark's been a friend for a very long time and I've really appreciated our friendship, man. You have, you have taught me a lot of good stuff. He has a wonderful wife, Laura, and three kids and just a wonderful brother. Now, how many of you know this guy? Yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, uh, Dr. Foth has been a part of our team for many, many years, and he actually has done with a church out in D.C. Mark is a pastor and an author, and Dick Foth has done kind of what there, kind of what he's done here, and been working with their team and staff, and so Mark and I are really thankful that we get to share this great man and his wife, Ruth, in our lives, and it means a lot to us. But you guys wrote a book together. A Trip Around the Sun, and it's really fun. Bonnie and I really enjoyed reading it because it gives the perspective of a young man like Foth in everyday living, everyday living, uh, and he's had a few more trips around the sun, and then a younger man uh, in Mark who has had a few trips around, but it's wonderful how you guys honor each other and shared so many stories in that book. I appreciated that. Tell us a little bit about how all that started. The year was 1966, and Ruth and I, at age 24, did a church plant, planted a church near the University of Illinois in Urbana. The following summer, a young couple, about our same age, went to Naperville, Illinois, outside Chicago, and did a church plant. Their names were Bob and Karen Schmidgall, and we became great friends. In that church that they planted over the years was a kid named Mark Batterson. And, oh, uh, <laughs> and one little fact, uh, Bob and Karen Schmidgall had a daughter named Laura. Now, I didn't know that when we first started attending the church, and I didn't care because I was in the eighth grade. <laughs> but I cared immensely a few years later. Uh, we started dating. I married the pastor's daughter and, uh, and, uh, went to seminary and then moved to Washington, D.C. to plant this church. Didn't know a soul. And so I think there was some scheming behind. I think my in-laws were really nervous for us and they reached out to, uh, Dick and Ruth and you invited us over because we didn't have anywhere to go on Thanksgiving. And he said, that our relationship started because Ruth made homemade berry cobbler with Haagen-Dazs ice cream. So food solidifies spiritual challenge with something. I don't know what. But so they started this little congregation, 19 people in D.C., and Ruth and I got to be a part of it. When you're, when you're young, like 24 or 26, whatever we were, you know, when we were in Urbana, if somebody old walked in, when you're 24, like a like a 40 year old, if they you know it's it's huge, it's huge because they bring some wisdom, they bring some seasoning, and cash. And uh, I, I everybody, at some point in your life, don't you need someone that believes in you more than you believe in yourself? And so I'm I'm 26 years old, and what I didn't tell you is that we had tried to plant a church in Chicago and it failed. And so now we're in Washington, D.C. and I don't really know what I'm doing, but when 
when when you start with 19 people and two of those people are are Dick and Ruth Foth, you you never forget it. Um, and uh, and so really for the last 20 years we've had a, a friendship and I and I used to call Dick my mentor. Um, but a few years ago, I apologized because I think that's uh, that's not the full truth. He's been a spiritual father to me. And my father-in-law actually died uh, in 1998, and, and he, he was the pastor that was kind of my mentor and my model. I didn't have anybody to go to, and so um, I really feel like the folks adopted us. And I, I know this, we wouldn't be where we are. And, you know, the church is now one church with eight campuses and about 50% single 20-somethings. And God is moving. We're praying for revival in the nation's capital. It's awesome. Um, but we wouldn't be where we are without this wisdom and this man. And I wouldn't be where I am, except that he's taught me stuff. You see, the, the deal is that you can teach each other across the generations Especially when you're following the same Jesus. That's just how it works. So I get to go speak at this place, and they're just cranked. You know, to go, you go to this one place at Barracks Row, which is across the street from Marine Corps Barracks at 8th and I Street. Some of you know where that is. And you go in there, and it's just cranked. I mean, it makes what few hairs I have stand on end. <laughs> and then I hop in the car for the second service and drive to Georgetown, where all these bright people, and I'm trying to think up three-syllable words as I'm going there, because it's a totally different day. Well, I'm going to sit down now. So I, you take it, you okay. just go, and All right. try to remember the stuff I said. That okay. You need to say. All right. <laughs> uh, Dick Foth is uh, maybe the greatest storyteller I've ever known. And, uh, and so really the dream for a trip around the sun, this book that we wrote together was, I just wanted to make sure we got some of these stories in print that they would, were captured for the generations. And, uh, what pure joy to be able to work on a project like that. And, uh, and so fun to be here at Timberline. You have an amazing pastor. Pastor Derry and Bonnie have been a blessing to me personally. And your reputation as a church precedes you. And, uh, it's fun. When, when you're, when you feel like you're with family, then, then this is just kind of like a little reunion. So what a joy to be here and excited about what, what the Lord's going to do. And what, just to set the record clear too. Um, when the folks decided to move from Washington, D.C. To, to Fort Collins, <clears throat> we have forgiven you. You are forgiven, and uh, we're good. We're good. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn over to Acts chapter 10. I, I want to talk about the power of a single prayer, the power of a single prayer. Uh, a few years ago, I was invited to the... White House. Now we live on Capitol Hill. We have for 20 years. And, uh, but, but when you get an invite to the White House, like that doesn't happen very often. And so, um, it's pretty awesome. Uh, you go through security and, and I'm walking up for the Easter prayer breakfast. They've invited some pastors from across the country and, and they invited a local. And so, uh, the Marine Corps band is playing. And, uh, you know, key word in, in Easter prayer breakfast, I think, is breakfast. Um, the buffet that they set up at the White House, it, your tax dollars at work. 
for my benefit. Um, and so I'm pretty excited about eating. But before we eat, there's a, a 76-year-old uh, black preacher who gives the invocation. And, and I'll tell you, I, I just kind of have a little deal where I believe in short prayers before meals. I just think, I believe in eating food while it's hot. I think it's good food stewardship. So I kind of expected one of these, Lord bless the food, let's eat, amen. This preacher who has walked with the Lord for for seven decades, launched into uh, the most amazing prayer. It felt like he just came out of the throne room. Where did you come from? Um, The familiarity that he prayed to his Father, it, it made me feel like I didn't know God as well as he knew God, that maybe I wasn't as close to him as he was. And, and the effect it had on me was, I want to pray like that. In fact, uh, funny, I turned to two pastor friends, you, you know, uh, you may know their names, Andy Stanley and Louis Giggly were right next to me. And I said, you guys, I feel like I've never prayed before. And I wonder if that's how the disciples felt. Do you remember that moment in Luke 11, 1, where they, they say, Lord, teach us to pray? What doesn't make sense about that is that they were, you know, devout Jewish believers. They had been praying their entire lives. But they hadn't prayed like that. Jesus prayed with this intimacy and this authority with his father that when he was done, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Can I suggest that when, when you begin to pray in that way, it changes everything. It changes your marriage. It can change your family. It can change your work situation. There's someone you work with that you don't like. Pray for them. And it will begin to change your heart towards them. I believe that prayer is the difference between the best we can do and the best God can do. I want the best God can do. And so why don't we, for a few minutes, talk about the power of a single prayer, Acts chapter 10 and verse number 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, if you looked at my Bible, you would see that verse underlined twice. Prayed to God regularly. It doesn't tell us when or where or how, but but he had a prayer habit. Uh, If you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. When you pray to God regularly, irregular things will happen on a regular basis. Is this not true? Um, When you pray... Coincidence has happened, but the truth is, I don't believe in coincidence, I believe in providence. When we pray, God begins to move, and part of it, honestly, is that it sanctifies a part of our brain called the reticular activating system that determines what we notice and don't notice. When you're praying for something, you begin to notice things related to it, and it also can begin to change those situations. Uh, Let me tell you a little story, and and I like sharing this because, um, uh, are are we in an election year? uh, It's an election year? Yeah, it's an election year. 
you've noticed. Um, and, and I think sometimes, uh, you know, it's funny because our local news is national news and it just seems like, you know, every election, maybe this one a little bit more, there's a little bit of angst or what's going to happen or, you know, whatnot. Um, but I want you to know that, uh, that some great things are happening in Washington, D.C. And uh, I think God is moving in, in a profound way. And again, we're praying for a revival in our nation's capital. And uh, I think sometimes there's a little bit of skepticism about what happens inside the beltway, and it's justified. But I also want you to know that there are some good people and uh, some people who love God and are committed to Jesus. And I met one of them, a congressman, a couple of years ago. And uh, let me just tell you his story real quick, because I, I think it's a good uh, picture of prayer. We, we sat down for coffee, um, and I asked him, how did you land in Congress? How did that happen? He said, uh, I, I was actually a Christian camp director, and I would preach on the weekend. He said, I was living the dream, loving my life, and one day in prayer... He said, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, get ready. Now, have you ever had one of those moments where it just feels like the Holy Spirit is just kind of not. In fact, just you, you're sitting next to someone. Just kind of give them one of the give, give them a little level. Go ahead and do it. You know, the Holy Spirit's kind of giving you one of one of those right now. Not too hard. Not too hard. Um, so it's one of those moments. And over a couple of months, he's feeling like, get ready, get ready, get ready. So fast forward. Uh, he's reading the newspaper. And uh, there's an article about the congresswoman that represents his district that she's going to run for governor, which would leave an empty seat in Congress. And that's when the Holy Spirit says, this is it. And he's thinking to himself, this is what? Not a political bone in his body. Doesn't even know the boundaries of his congressional district. And so he gets on the computer to research it. His wife walks in, says, what are you doing? He says, I'm, I'm researching county statistics. They've never had a conversation about it. And she says, we're running for Congress, aren't we? Now, the challenge is, that's fine, but you're not going to win. Not if you don't have political machinery, if you don't have any money backing you. But but sometimes God doesn't just call us to win. He calls us to run because it's the obedient thing to do. And so he throws his hat in the ring. And wouldn't you know it, front runner pulls out a couple of months before the election. And he's elected and becomes a member of the House of representatives, and he now serves in the United States Senate. He's a good man who loves God, and uh, by the way, circles uh, the Capitol in prayer, which I think is pretty cool. How did it start? Come on, it started the way things start in the kingdom of God. It starts with prayer. And when you pray, you never know how or when or where God might show up or show off. And that's what happens in this story, isn't it? Cornelius is praying to God regularly. How many days had he prayed that nothing happened? Come on. That's a normal day, right? Where you pray and it just feels like, what difference did it make? But one day, one day, verse 3 says, one day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Let me stop right here. Because there is a beautiful picture 
painted uh, in the 10th chapter of Acts. If you're like me, have you found that sometimes you pray for something over here and you're believing God for it, praying for it. But, you know, a few days pass, nothing, nothing happens and you're just kind of living your life, doing your thing. And then one day God shows up and answers the prayer. Uh, but you already forgot that you prayed for it over there. Right. And so then you fail to give God credit. You, you fail to give him the glory that he deserves. And it's one reason, by the way, that I believe in prayer journaling. I think it's powerful. I, I my Bible in my prayer journal, I like writing things down that I'm praying for so that I can remember and give God praise. But I want you to know, even if you forget, God does not. He does not forget. In fact, each of those prayers is like a memorial. You're, you're building a memorial to God. Part of why I like it is because the city I live in is the city of memorials. Now, who has been to Washington, D.C.? Let me see your hands. And then uh, who has not uh, done their patriotic duty, made a pilgrimage to Washington, D.C.? Uh, open invitation, open invitation to come and visit. And what you'll find, um, this is my quick, uh, uh, folks, you, you know when you live in D.C., you're part tour guide. Um, you got to visit the Lincoln Memorial at night. Or get there for sunrise. It's awesome, too. Um, then there's the Jefferson by the Tidal Basin and when the cherry blossoms go. Oh, man, it's awesome. But my favorite, I think, is the Washington. Now, now um, my kids call it the giant pencil. Um, you know, it, it, when it's 555 feet tall. And when it was built, did you know it was the tallest building in the world at one point? Pretty cool. Uh, until the Eiffel Tower was built. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, this might be, I, I like sharing at least one trivial fact that you do not need to remember and won't really benefit your life whatsoever in every sermon I preach. And so here it is. Um, the Washington Monument, uh, 36,000 stones to make it. 36,000 Prayers, one by one, by one, by one, by one, by one, by one, by one. You pray to God regularly. And I'm going to tell you what you're doing. You are building a memorial to God. You, you know what? My grandfather built a memorial to God. Um, he had a little ritual at night. This is kind of fun. Uh, he, was, he was hard of hearing, and so at night he would take his hearing aid off. Put it on the bedside table, kneel next to his bed, and he would begin to pray uh, for his grandchildren. Now I'm four or five years old, and I, I and now when he, when he took the hearing, like he couldn't hear himself, but everybody else in the house could hear him. And so when you when you hear your grandfather praying for you, and here's the deal, um, those are about the the only memories because he died when I was six, but his prayers did not die. Our prayers. Outlive us. There is no expiration date on prayer. Uh, our prayer is a way that we exit these four space-time dimensions. And God begins to work sovereignly through our lives. And only eternity will tell how those prayers are answered. And so, Cornelius is building a memorial to God in prayer. And here's what happens. Verse 5, now send men to Joppa to bring back a man who is named Simon, uh, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. 
And when the angel who had spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that happened and sent them to Joppa. And we keep reading as if nothing just happened. But, but let me ask you. If God says to you, um, I want you to go find someone uh, you don't know. His name is this. But they call him this. And he's staying with this person where you've never been. Yeah. Can I a little more information right here? Because my GPS isn't working with that. Um, here's the deal. I want God to reveal the second step before I take the first step. But that's not faith. Faith is taking the first step when God gives you that prompting. Well, what's, what's the big deal? Caesarea and Joppa are only 32 miles apart. No, huge deal. Because in the first century, the average person never traveled outside a 30-mile radius of their birthplace. And, and so, and plus, Italian soldiers and Jewish disciples do not hang out. They do not, they do not friend each other on Facebook. They do not follow each other on Twitter. These are two totally different universes. Now, God's never going to tell you to do something that is outside his good, pleasing or perfect will. But God will tell you to do things you've never done before, to step out of that 30 mile radius of your comfort zone and say, God, I'm willing to take a step of faith. And when you take a step of faith, it's game on, because then you begin to see how God is working in your life. If you want God to do something new, you can't keep doing the same old thing. So here's where we're at. Guy named Cornelius prays to God regularly, has a vision from God, and sends his men to Joppa. We have one person praying. What happens when two people pray? Let's take a look. Verse 9. In verse 9 it says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Now, here's where uh, we've known each other for about 15 minutes now, so I can get in your business, right? (laughs) Question. uh, When and where do you go to pray? Peter goes up to the rooftop to pray. Where do you go to pray? Where where do you make an altar? And when do you pray? Well, I pray without ceasing. Well, that's great. Um, And we can. You can pray anywhere, anytime. Uh, Listen, you can pray while you're driving. I encourage open-eye prayers in those scenarios. Um, And so let's pray without ceasing. But I think there are moments where you need an appointment with God, where it's you and God. Where you get in a prayer closet and you just talk to your Heavenly Father. When and where do you do it? Um, let's have a little bit of fun. I'll have a little bit of fun uh, right here. So, um, so we want to set up an appointment. We want to meet each other. Um, and, and I say when. And you say whenever. And I say where. And you say wherever. This meeting's not going to happen. Have you ever set up a meeting and said, we're going to meet somewhere? <laughs> Sometime. It is not going to happen. You don't set up appointments that way. Um, because those meetings usually don't happen. You miss each other. And I think, come on, in a relationship with God, I think there have to be moments where, where we set up a, a meeting with God. When and where do you pray? Just jot that down. Think about it. If you don't have a place, 
I mean, listen, I, I think you can turn your bed wherever you sleep into an altar. I mean, first thing in the morning or last thing at night. What a great way to just kind of get on your knees. And if you're married, do it with your spouse. I mean, it's an awesome, awesome thing. Um, and I, I think the Lord just just loves it. By the way, I have a daughter, 18, who's a freshman in college. And she just started dating. Oh, no, my prayer life is awesome right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I love it when she FaceTimes me. You know, Pastor Derry, when you get that FaceTime, I just, I, I think God loves it when we FaceTime. So don't, don't worry too much about, well, I don't know what to say or I don't know how to, how to pray. Listen, I just love it when, when I see it's her number and I answer it every time because I love my girl. But if you're saying, but, but what? What do I pray? Just a simple tip right here. Um, I, I don't think the Bible was just meant to be read. I think the Bible was meant to be prayed. What, what I mean by that is when you open the Bible, God opens his mouth and he begins to speak to us through his inspired word. And you can't get too many verses, but the, you, you don't probably need to say something back, right? You probably, okay, right here, I better praise God for the promise that I'm reading. Or, or right here, ooh, I'm feeling a little ouch, a little bit of conviction. And so let's, let's kind of have a tough conversation right here. Listen. Prayer isn't that complicated. Listen, you read your Bible, God begins to speak to you, and then you begin to talk back to Him. And honestly, here's a couple other things you can do. Don't just read the newspaper, pray it. Don't don't just look at your calendar, pray it. It's amazing how if you pray through your calendar, um, God can turn just kind of ordinary meetings into really divine appointments. It's really amazing. So... um, Oh, one last thing. I got to share this. Uh, I love praying. I love this verse because I love praying uh, on on the rooftop of the coffee house that we own in Washington, D.C. I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but we bought a crack house and we opened a coffee house. And crazy, it became the number one coffee house in D.C., voted that way a couple of years. We've had a million customers. And part of it is just we wanted a place where church and community could cross paths and then every penny of profit we give to missions. And the awesome thing is it's, it's a kitty corner to the Security and Exchange Commission and across the street from the Federal Judiciary Building. And lawyers drink a ton of coffee. <laughs> and so it's so good for business. Um, and uh, in case you care, it's awesome having an office right above a coffee house, too. You're never more than 10 seconds away. I have a formula. The Holy Spirit plus caffeine equals awesome. <laughs> so I love um, climbing the ladder, going up on the rooftop, and I'll just walk back and forth. That's my, pay, my place to pray. I'll just pray, and I, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the things you've done. And, and when you're praying on top of a miracle that God has already done, because four people offer more money for it than we did, two of them real estate developers, but we got it because we circled it in prayer for five years. So when people come and visit our coffee house, they tell them it's not really a coffee house. This is what an answered prayer looks like. But we serve coffee. And so I'm praying on top of that coffee house, and uh, it's kind of fun. Uh, we have folks come over from the SEC and from the federal judiciary and their buildings are taller than ours so they look down on our roof deck and uh, we'll have people come in and say who is that guy who just walks back and forth on top of the roof (laughs) that's me um when where do you pray okay all right we're going to pick up the pace here we go uh next verse it says he became hungry wanted something to eat and while the meal was being prepared fell into a trance Saw heaven open, something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. 
contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. Now, I love this because I'm pretty sure if you're calling someone Lord, the two words that can never precede that are surely not. And so Peter's having an argument. Why? Um, Because of Jewish dietary law. Uh, Peter would have never eaten an unclean animal. It was against Jewish dietary law. And so this was unthinkable. So it didn't, it didn't match his logic. So he's getting into this little argument with God. And, and uh, how many have ever had one of those arguments? Come on. Where our logic gets in the way. Uh, I want to tell you something. If you get into an argument with God, if you win, you lose. And if you lose, you win. It was beautiful. After the last service, I met, I met a gentleman whose uh, life totally changed a year ago, and he said it started with just losing one argument with God. You know what? There's some folks in this service. If you would have the courage to lose the argument, you would begin to see God's plan and purpose for your life revealed in a brand new way. Come on, we all need to lose some arguments with God. I'll tell you one fun story. Um, when the church was just getting started, when we had the 19 people, Dick and Ruth and and uh, I wouldn't just preach, I would lead worship because uh, there wasn't anybody else to do it. And, and my voice, uh, not real good. Um, but rhythm, worse. Even worse rhythm. And we didn't have a drummer. And so uh, that first year, our predominant prayer was, Lord, send us a drummer, send us a drummer. I mean, save souls. Send us a drummer, send us a drummer. Because um, we needed a drummer desperately. And so uh, one day after praying this way for months, I felt like uh, God said, well, why don't you go out and buy a drum set? And I'm thinking to myself, well, just as soon as you send us a drummer, I will. Because I want God to go first. But I knew it was an argument that I needed to lose, that that I needed. You can't just pray regularly. There are moments where you have to take that step of faith. You have to take the step. And so, uh, funny, this is pre-Google, so I had to uh, use something called the newspaper um, to find uh, a drum set, a used drum set. And and I'm driving up to Maryland, and I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. This is crazy. I'm buying a drum set for an imaginary drummer that doesn't even exist. That was a Thursday. That Sunday, kid walks into church, clean cut, and uh, in D.C., you know, uh, we spot and love our military, just didn't know what branch. And so, uh, sure enough, Marine Corps, stationed at 8th and I, uh, drum and bugle corps. <laughs> now, from that moment forward, we've established a policy at National Community Church. That if you play an instrument for the President of the United States, you don't have to audition. You're on our team. You're on our <laughs> team. Uh, God didn't just send us a drummer, sent us a rock star. And uh, what, what a moment to, uh, to just see how that little step of faith. And I found that throughout my life, there are moments where, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step here. Now, listen, have I ever stubbed my toe? Yeah. Have I ever tripped and fallen flat on my face? Absolutely. But, but what's, what's my option? Not to pray? I believe in prayer and I believe that there are moments where you've got to take that step of faith and see what God might do. And so we're going to get to the end of the story. Uh, Here's what happens. Verse 16. Uh, This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. 
And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Why would he hesitate to go with them? Because the only thing more unthinkable than eating an unclean animal would be to associate with an unclean person. In other words, someone who was not Jewish. At this point, uh, the way as it was known was a sect of Judaism. That The only followers at this point in history were Jewish. But Peter takes a huge risk. And sometimes you have to risk your reputation, don't you? To establish God's reputation. And uh, here's what happens. Next day, Peter started out with them. Some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends as Peter entered the house. Uh, we're going to end with that little statement. Now, that might seem like the most anticlimactic part of the sermon, right? He entered a house. <gasps> We've entered thousands of houses, right? It's not real common. It tends to be something called a door, a doorknob. You open it and you, you step in. It's really no big deal. No, this is a huge, huge deal because this is crossing the Rubicon, okay? Uh, this, this is, I call it the door to whosoever. It's like the wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia or the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland. As Peter enters the house, are you ready? As Peter enters the house, whosoever will. May come. Cornelius and his family put their faith in Jesus Christ. They're baptized. They're the first Gentile converts. And the gospel, the good news, is open to everyone. Now, I have a question for you today. How many here this morning at Timberland are not Jewish? Let me see your hands. How did you get here? How did you get here? How was the door open for you to even be here? I'm going to tell you how. 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Cornelius who prayed to God regularly. And one day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon has a vision and takes a step of faith and sends his men to Joppa. Oh, and there's a man over here named Peter praying on a rooftop. And this divine appointment happens and Peter has the courage to step out in faith and step into the house of Cornelius. And the next thing you know, God has answered a prayer. But he didn't just answer it once. He answered it one more time when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And he answered it one more time when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. God has answered that one prayer billions of times. That is the power of a single prayer. Oh, but I'm I'm not Cornelius. I'm not Peter. Neither am I. Listen, I'm a dad who probably beats himself up as much as you do, makes as many mistakes as you do. Listen, I've got a, I've got a wife who is wonderful. We've been married 23 years. Praise God for my wife. Does our marriage need, need work? Yeah, just like yours. Needs work. All of us are just these ordinary people struggling with life, with situations. But I know this. Prayer has the power to change things. Prayer will turn a parent into a prophet who begins to shape their child's future through their... Now, that child has to make a decision of their own free will. 
But as a parent, I'm going to be in their corner praying for them. Listen, don't just, don't just get into a fetal position when you're in a situation that you can't control. You can't control it, but you can pray. And you begin to pray. And you know what? It might be days or weeks or months that you see nothing. You keep praying to God regularly. And one day, I believe God's going to show up and show off in your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person here today. You know the details of our lives. You know the number of hairs on our head. And you care intimately about every situation that we find ourselves in. Lord, I pray that you would turn us into a people of prayer. Lord, I thank you for this church and for the impact that they're having. God, I pray that you continue to take Timberline to the next place and the next place and the next place. And I know that you're going to do that through prayer. God, I pray that uh, those who have maybe gotten frustrated or discouraged, that there would just be a spark right now to, to identify the when and the where and to get back to that place of prayer so that we can see your hand move powerfully in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What an absolute joy and privilege to be with you. Thanks to Pastor Derry. So humbled. And uh, God bless you guys.